But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Hmm. She disgraces her head. Who's her head? Her husband. Okay, looking, drawing this, this figurative statement through. Not only does she disgrace her own head, her own noggin, but she disgraces her positional head, that is her husband, if she comes in with head uncovered. She's the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Okay, we're getting into some cultural waters here because for a woman to shave her head in America is like, what if? Okay. I mean, is it a disgrace? I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but think about that. Is it a disgrace? No. I mean, Rachel's right here in the second row and I can't help but look at you, Rachel. How disgraceful, sister. No, of course not. In this culture... Rachel walks into the church. Do, do people go, disgrace, shame? No. Because in our culture, it's not. Not an issue. It was here. Now stay with me on this. A woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered disgraces her head what kind of a woman would do that? i got to give you a side note, and this is absolutely vital for when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul is here giving very clear instruction as to how the women in Corinth were to pray and prophesy. Note that. Because, hey, you may pray while you're alone, but you do not prophesy by yourself. Prophecy is always for another. Prophecy speaks specifically of the assembly. What are you getting at, Rick? Paul is talking about behavior in the worship assembly at church during services. And he's saying when you gather in your worship assemblies, when a woman prays or prophesies, which indicates aloud in the assembly of believers, she just needs to have her head covered. Because if she doesn't, she's a disgrace to her husband. So that's how you are to do it, Paul says. There are those who, even this day, will object to a woman doing or saying anything in the assembled worship of a fellowship. Rachel, beginning tonight by reading scripture and praying as we began worship, would be anathema. And this is actually held as as standard, even in churches today. A woman cannot do... Why not? What's the problem? 1 Corinthians 14.34, the women are to keep silent in the churches. Which, if we're going to take it literally, means no more singing, gals. Which means, boy, how would that sound? Amazing grace. (laughs) Clearly there's more going on. Because in chapter 11, Paul refers to how a woman is to pray or prophesy. He's talking about the assembled church. And then in chapter 14, he says, women, you need to keep silent. What's happening? We'll get there. Not tonight. But understand, again, in this whole section, he is dealing with the assembled church. He's talking about propriety. 
He's talking about how a church can worship in an orderly fashion, and he clearly assumes that they are praying and that they are prophesying, and he never says stop. He never says that's not okay. He just says when you do, make sure your head is covered. But let's get back to this whole head covering thing, because what? Verse 6. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. So, Rachel, you're right. (laughs) Or have her head shaved, let her cover her head. If it's disgraceful to do that, then cover up, gals. Okay, again, is it disgraceful in our culture for a woman to shave her head or to wear a short, cropped hairstyle? Is that wrong? Is that not okay in American culture? Does anybody have a problem with that? Okay, nobody does. Bible students, think about it. Why would Paul say this? What is he addressing? What's the issue? What is the custom? What loomed large over the city of Corinth? It's called the Acrocorinthus. It's a great mountain. What was on the Acrocorinthus? The temple of Aphrodite. What took place in the temple of Aphrodite? Pagan prostitution. The pagan priestesses. And every evening they would come down out of the temple, a thousand or more strong, and they would begin to wander or walk the streets of Corinth. And you knew who they were because their heads were uncovered and shaved. And as they walked the streets, they represented Aphrodite. And it was considered in Greek culture incredibly alluring. Because in that day and in that age, most women walking through the streets would not only have hair on their heads and probably probably done up in kind of a bun in the back, but they would have a head covering. You didn't go out without your head covering. Why not? Because the prostitutes, the pagan priestesses, went out flaunting it all. Heads shaved, heads uncovered. And veils and head coverings, even in the Middle East today, in Muslim countries, it's an absolute. In fact, it's, it's so extreme, you've seen the burqa, where it's nothing but just the two eyes. And apparently there are Muslim men who get turned on by seeing an elbow. You know? Doesn't bother me. we got elbows all over the place here at the bridge. Not an issue. <laughs> Go to Saudi Arabia, cover up that elbow, ladies, because it's a cultural thing that is happening here very clearly. And for a woman to strut around Corinth with a barren, bald head was to say, I'm a pagan prostitute and I am open for business. What's happening in the church at Corinth? Well, the women are free in Christ. They have their newfound freedom. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We can do whatever we want. And Paul says, yeah, all things are lawful. Not all things are profitable. Not all things are expedient. Not all things are a good idea. You see how it might dishonor both her head and her husband for a woman to start showing up at church without any kind of a veil or head covering at all? It might be embarrassing. It would be like if Cheryl showed up here on a Sunday morning dressed like Lady Gaga. I'd have a problem with that. What is that, a meat dress she's wearing? 
If you don't know Lady Gaga, just let it go. What about the the, the woman who's not married? She doesn't have a head. Well, I hope she does. (laughs) That'd be weird. The woman who's not married. In that day, she would be under the positional authority of her father, her dad. Until she was married, and then she would come under the positional authority of her husband. If her father died and she was not married, she would be under the positional authority of the firstborn son. Not to rule over her, but to look after and care for her and make sure she was provided for. What if there were no brothers? Then she was under the positional authority of the Lord. For more study, you might want to go read the obscure story about five sisters, daughters of a man named Zelophehad. Numbers 27. Zelophehad's daughters. Their father died. They had no brothers. And they were on the verge of losing their entire inheritance until they came to Moses and said, what do we do? Should we lose our inheritance because there's no man to cover us? And Moses comes back after speaking with the Lord and says, oh, by all means, give them their inheritance. Ladies, understand that even in the Jewish times under the law of Moses, the idea of male headship was protection and covering and care for God's daughters. It was to be sure that they were not left untaken care of, unloved, out on their own. It was not about power and control. It was about care and compassion, which is always the way the Father approaches everything. Here's the thing. At Corinth, there was an issue of cultural mores. Cultural values. And that's what was at stake. And these women now, free in Christ, are showing up to worship and they don't have their heads covered. And Paul says, you're causing a stir. I've even heard about it over here in Ephesus. Is Paul saying that they're not free in Christ? Of course not. Yes, they're free in Christ. But he's saying, you know, why make an issue out of this? In fact, think about this. What did Paul write? Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24, we studied this. He said, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. And that would apply to societal conditions as well. Remain in the position of your culture. Unless the cultural norms are in conflict with God's Word. Now that's different. So the difference between head covering in Corinth and head covering today is kind of obvious. It's not an issue. Prostitution in Corinth and prostitution today, there's a big difference. Well, actually, no. There's a big similarity. (laughs) Big similarity. Same thing. Am I clear on that one? Let's delete that section. (laughs) Prostitution in Corinth, prostitution today, same moral issue. It's sexual immorality. Head covering then, head covering now. Head covering now is not an issue of morality, nor was it then. It was an issue of custom. It was an issue of what did it represent? What did it say for a woman to come in? Now there are women today who begin covering their heads because they read 1 Corinthians 11 and think, oh. <laughs> you know, Rachel goes home and just starts growing out the hair as fast as she can because, well, we studied on It's there. It's a custom. It was a cultural issue. And there were all kinds of non-Christians in Corinth who were watching the church and they're saying, wow, those women look a lot like the pagan priestess prostitutes. And what does that say about Christ? Much less their 
husbands and themselves. Just because we are free in Christ doesn't mean we exercise liberty in something that would be culturally shaming. I had a conversation with my children just the other day about language. Bad words. You know, we have the word... I won't even use it, but we, we have different words for different bodily functions. I'll just go that far, right? Some of them are words that you can use and it's not a big deal. You know... The dog goes outside the backyard, we go and pick up the dog, and you know what I'm going to say. That I'm not going to say, because I don't want to say poop in front of you all. <laughs> you see, that word is like, yeah, because, you know, okay, we use that word, it's very common. There are other words that mean the exact same thing, that if I said them right now, you would go, I actually heard him say that in church? It's the same word as my son Hayden says. Any way you say it, it smells as bad. (laughs) But as we talked about this at home, I said, but here's the deal, kids. There are certain words in our culture that are more offensive. I'm free in Christ. I could say any of them. Because none of those words are going to determine or deny my salvation. But I don't say them because they, they express something. They imply something. They reflect on my relationship with Jesus. Therefore, I will not use those words. I avoid those words. Some of the etymology, if you ever look at this, of foul language in our culture is ridiculous. Oh, that's, it's, it's the big bad word. Well, do you know where it came from? It's kind of stupid. Really? So why not use it? Cultural values. Cultural mores. And how then does it reflect on Christ when people in my culture... Hear me use those words. Or see a woman walking around without her head covered in Corinth. It's the same concept. That's what Paul's getting at. Verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. Oh yeah, way to go men. That woman is the glory of man. Ow. Paul, we were doing so well. Paul's not a chauvinist here. Paul is alluding directly to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And you've got to watch and pay close attention to what he said. Don't make assumptions. He does not alter Genesis 1, 27 a single bit. Listen to it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does that tell you about the image of God? Male and female are created, both man and woman, in the image of God. And Paul does not contradict that in the slightest. While Paul says here that man is the image and glory of God, note this, he does not say that woman is the image of man. He says she's the glory of man. Why doesn't he say she's the image of man? Because Paul knows, as you and I know, that she is the image of God. That woman, Eve, was created in the image of God. Just as Adam, man, was created in the image of God. So the image is irrefutable. We were all created in God's image, period. Don't question that. But woman, he says, is the glory of man. And that's another thing. What does that mean? The Greek word is doxa, where we get doxology. And yes, it is translated glory, honor, praise. And what he's saying, woman is the honor of man. If I walk down the street with Cheryl on my arm, I look better. 
I, I just do. Now that's a, on, on the physical side. People see me with my wife and they go, hey, there's got to be more to him than meets the eye. <laughs> Can I get an amen from some of you guys? She is the glory of man. She brings honor. She brings praise. She, she, you know, and, and so this is a good thing, ladies. I love that Paul said it this way. He's saying the very presence of the woman in the relationship brings honor to the man. Brings praise to the man. But in Corinth, for a woman to publicly expose her head, dishonored her husband. And Paul says, don't do that, ladies. The point is that you honor him, that you bring glory to him in the same way that Eve completed Adam. Because it was not good that he was alone. She comes along and suddenly now in this relationship of man and woman, now we've got a beautiful picture. Ladies, do you bring honor to the man who is in positional authority over you? Or do you undermine him? Talk him down when he's not around. That's really a a shame when I hear that kind of thing take place. Oh, my husband is such an idiot. He can't do anything right. Let me just tell you what he did last week. And on and on it goes. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the man is looking smaller and smaller. And the woman is out of order. If you can't honor your husband, sisters, how in the world can you honor Christ? And I think there's something in that. I don't know. This is Rick talking, not Scripture. But I think there's something in that that God designed to deepen and develop a woman's relationship with Jesus. What? He put the man in the way? Exactly. Because if you can honor Him, you can honor the Lord. God is always looking at that. Remember, this is all about the glory of God, right? And me growing to glorify and honor and praise God in all that I do. And He does things in all of our lives that we would grow to that place. There is a caveat here. And that is if the husband is being dishonorable. Guys, you don't just bear the right to being Mr. Honorable if you're a jerk. If you're being an idiot, if you're dishonoring your wife, how can you expect her to honor you? You see how mutual liberty works? That the man is free in Christ and the woman is free in Christ. Both are free in Christ. But if I am dishonoring my wife, I'm abusing my freedom. And I am dishonoring Jesus. Which is why Paul said, Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The ultimate act of submission, the cross. Do that for your wife, guys. Ladies, respect your husbands. Love them. Honor them. Be a glory and a praise to them. That's the way it's supposed to work. Verse 8. Okay, let me hurry up here. For for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. Yes. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Now, get that. Listen to what he just said. In other words, wives, your husband needs you. He needs you. You were created for his sake because on his own wasn't good. 
So once again, Paul is not saying something dishonoring to women. He's saying something incredibly honoring to them. You were created for His sake. He needs you. This is a good thing. By the way, all of the, the... Paul wrote, all that he's saying here was not written in light of modern feminism. That's part of our problem is we look through the lens of feminism and we read all these things and go, oh, 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 offensive. No. We're missing the point. It was written in light of biblical equality in Jesus Christ. Remember what I said? you got to start and end there. There is neither male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. You start there, and then you read this, and suddenly, wow, Paul is really honoring women in this. He's saying they have a unique and important and significant position. And Paul's words reflect as much on the needs of a man as they do on the role or the position of a woman. It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. One to be face to face with him. Yeah, but he says man was created first. Well, he was. Of course he was. Doesn't make him better. You know? My son Corey is my firstborn. He is not my bestborn. That sounds bad. (laughs) Corey is no more important to me than any of my children. Any of them. And I've shared that before. Biological or adopted makes no difference. All of my children are equal to me. And yet Corey came first. Well, that's just the way it happened. He happened to be firstborn. The man happened to be first created. The woman was brought along because man in that first creation was in need. And so woman brings this completion to the picture. And this is where the radical feminist movement in America has gotten it completely wrong. The question has never been whether or not a a woman can do what a man can do. Of course she can. Barring some heavy lifting. Barring the physical differences that are just kind of immutable. I mean, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry if men can tend to run faster. I'm sorry if a man can tend to lift more or or be more muscle-bound if he so desires. The point is not whether or not there's an equality there. The question is, and I am speaking generally here, so don't throw anything at me, ladies. The question is, where does a woman created in the image of God to be the glory of her husband, where does she find her greatest sense of fulfillment and satisfaction? Our country, our culture says, go find it on your own, ladies. You don't need him. And we have a generation of dissatisfied women who have been told a lie that they don't need the man any more than the man needs the woman. Well, I'm here to tell you the man does need the woman and the woman needs the man. Otherwise, we will not find the fulfillment that God created us to find. The satisfaction. The Bible declares in a godly marriage, raising children to know the Lord, check out 1 Timothy chapter 2, that a woman will find her greatest satisfaction. Unless unless she is called to a celibate lifestyle. In which case that's different. There may be a different calling and we won't deny that. I'm not here to say if you're unmarried as a lady that you're not satisfied or fulfilled. No, you find ultimately you're fulfilling your fulfillment in Jesus. But in social relationships, 
God created the man for the woman and the woman for the man. And a man's greatest fulfillment and satisfaction, by the way, comes of loving his wife as Christ loved the church. It's remarkable to me. We can do all kinds of things here at the Bridge Fellowship. And I still go home and feel more fulfilled making the bed for my wife than I do preaching the gospel to you all. And I hope you're understanding that does not subvert the importance of the preaching of the gospel. What it says is I feel fulfilled when I can serve my wife. In my selfishness, sometimes I push back against it. I'm not going to do that her. Damn tired. I've been working all day preaching the word. And then I just get frustrated. But if I serve her, wow, it feels good. It's right. It's the way it's supposed to be. And I have no idea where I am right now. Oh, okay. So man alone, incomplete. Woman alone, unfulfilled. Oh, and by the way, we also got to consider the angels. Huh? Verse 10. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Well, of course she should. What are you talking about, Paul? How, Jim, is that not one of the most obscure verses in the entire Bible? <laughs> because of the angels, what is this? I suggest to you simply this. There are myster- mysteries we do not understand. But you know me, I'm going to dive in anyway. I would suggest to you that angels have a deep sensitivity to the propriety of the worship of God. That it matters to an angel that things are done decently and in order. That when things start to get out of order and offensive and weird and bizarre, it upsets the angels. What do you base that on, Rick? Every single time you read of angels worshiping in the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, Revelation 4 and 5, every time you see angels in worship, it is orderly. It is well-mannered. There is propriety there. Organization. It is never wild and frenzied. You just don't see it. You know, angels swooping in. Whoa, hey, there goes... Angels everywhere! It's a party of angels. Crazy. The Spirit goes this way and the angels follow the Spirit. And the Spirit moves over here and the angels move over here. Talking about the cherubim in Ezekiel. The cherubim fall down and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then the elders cast their crowns before the throne and then the cherubim say it again. And there is order and decorum even, in worship. And I think the angels are very sensitive to it. Perhaps it's just woven into, created into their nature. Maybe it has something to do with their experience. You see, the angels in heaven also witnessed a heavenly insurrection. As one that we think perhaps was a chief praise leader, worship leader in heaven, Satan himself. Once a a cherubim of the highest rank and yet sought to make himself higher than God, was cast out of heaven, fell from heaven, and a third of the angels with him, Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, describes that in interesting language. Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, talking about the fall of Satan, and the angels witness this. No wonder when it comes to worship, an angel would be like, let's get this right. We don't want to see 
a split like we saw in the heavens. Not to forget Jude 6 that tells us angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now listen, these things are a mystery to me. Angels and, and all of that, it's, it's interesting, but I know this much. Unruly worship impacts more people, more beings than just me. Unruly worship affects those we don't even see. So when I hear people say, I want worship to be more exciting. I want worship to be more freeform. Someone says, I want more hymns. Another person says, I want more hill songs. I think to myself, I didn't know worship was about what we wanted. I didn't know worship was about us. I thought worship was about God. I thought it was about bringing honor and glory to Him, not a buzz to my heart. Yes, I'm encouraged in worship. Yes, my faith is built up in worship. But I'll tell you, gang, it is about God, not about Rick. Not about what I like. It's not my taste. And what about my fellow worshipers? And what about the angels? Others are affected when worship gets out of control. And if God required prayer shawls for every woman in worship... Hang on, let's just turn that off right now. Oh, it's an 800 number. Nice. If God required prayer shawls for every woman in worship, sisters, would we not comply? If the Bible was telling us unequivocally, when you come to worship God, you need to cover your heads, wouldn't you do it? Wouldn't you want to do it? Of course you would, if it, if it honored God. So, you're saying a woman should wear prayer shawls. Read on. Verse 11. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Ooh, there we go. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And here's the key. All things originate from God. And Paul just shut down anyone who would use this passage to elevate men and denigrate women. It doesn't work that way. We all find our origination from God. We are all created in the image of God. And in Christ Jesus, we are all one. So understand, ladies, even though Paul describes this positional authority of the headship of a man, it's not patriarchal supremacy. He's not saying the man is greater, or the boss, or the Lord. There's only one Lord, and His name is Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is why our androgynous, transgender focus in this culture is so ungodly. Because I believe in the creation of male and female who were created in his own image that man and woman together reflect the nature of God. And in all the gender chaos that's going on in America today, we are seeing a rejection of divine nature. A rejection, not just of cultural standards, but a rejection of who God Himself is. He is strong and He is gentle. He is powerful and He is tender. And He is best expressed in a united man and woman. 
There's a tenderness about God. He, he bounces on the knee. He nurtures. He suckles. And there is obviously the strength of God. Which is why I think Paul makes it very clear, all things originate from God. Male and female created in His image. So, again, someone's asking, Rick, should women cover their heads? Let me just ask you this question and we'll put it to bed. If a woman walked into Walmart with her head uncovered today, would she be considered a prostitute? (laughs) It's a simple question. Yes or no? Would she be considered a prostitute? No, because it's not an issue in our culture. Therefore, it is not an issue. It's not a problem. Paul is addressing absolutely a cultural concern, and we are not in Corinth. Verse 13. Judge for, and by the way, I was in Corinth in April, and none of the women had their heads covered anymore. Just saying. Verse 13. Now here's the deal. Paul says, judge for yourselves. I love it. Paul would not say judge for yourselves if he was handing down a statute, a law. No, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God uncovered? Is it, is it proper? Having made his case for cultural appropriateness, Paul does not give a command here. He says what we've been saying the last two or three weeks. Christianity is reasonable. Use your head before you lose your head. Process it. Think it through. What's the real issue here? Biblical principles always transcend culture. So what's the principle beneath the coverings? The principle is about who and how you represent. Ladies, do you honor your head? Both your own head. Are you living an honorable life that honors God? And your husband, if you're married... Your father, if you're not married, or, or, or in, in the most obvious case, God, who is the ultimate head of every single one of us, are you honoring Him in your lifestyle, in your dress, in your worship, when you're in public, when you're in the church? Do you reflect Christ? That's the issue. Not whether you've got something hanging off your head. Do you reflect Jesus and honor Him? And as for our male-female relationships, here is the principle for every man and every woman, Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another out of the fear of Christ. Men, be subject to your wives. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Brothers and sisters in Christ and in the church, be subject one to another. Serve each other. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? (laughs) But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Okay, just nature. This is not God. This is what nature teaches us. What do we see? Women tend to have longer hair or tend to have hair that can grow longer than men. (laughs) I give you exhibit A. This is what happens to a man. Over time, unless you happen to be someone like Jim Micus with a nice head of hair. Thanks a lot, bud. And there are the, you know, but as a man grows older, what tends to happen? Proverbs 16.31, a gray head is a crown of glory. <laughs> Nothing up here. It's all going away up here. I see it every day. I look in the mirror and go, oh, we've lost the front line. 
Yep, we are in full retreat. Okay. <laughs> and that's what nature does. It's natural. So, you know, I don't need that cover. What is more natural with women? The longer hair. Tends to remain longer. I know it's not exact straight across the board, but Paul's just saying, look, just look around. Look at nature. What does nature tell you? For men, your, your hair's not going to grow long always. And by the way, when a man does grow his hair long, what does it tend to look like? It, it's not, by the way, he doesn't say it's a sin either. He says it's a dishonor. It's dishonorable for a man to wear long hair in that culture, which denies a whole lot of pictures of Jesus that I've seen. Again, where were the artists and where, you know, with the long, anyway. Nature dishonors, says that's dishonorable. Why would Paul write that? Because it looks, guys, if you have long hair, no offense, but it looks more feminine. It just does. It just does. All the hair bands of the 80s? you glad that culture does change in some instances? <laughs> Verse 16 and we're done. But if anyone is, in, if one is inclined to be contentious, if you want to argue about this, Paul says, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. The word other is literally such. We have no such practice, nor have the churches of God. What's the implication? Paul is saying, look, if you want to argue about this, no women in all the other churches here in the Middle East are burning their prayer shawls. I knew you would get that, Deb. I knew it. We're not having shawl burning parties here (laughs) to prove that they are liberated. We're free in Christ. Paul says we don't have that custom going on anywhere else. It's just at Corinth. So if you want to argue about it, well, come visit some of the other churches because there's some decorum that you are lacking in Corinth. You're missing the point. If you want to argue about it, okay, we can argue. And even today, those who want to argue about it, I would point to one word, and that is the word practice, which is literally translated custom. It's just a custom. It's a custom that reflects on the head. And in the Bridge Fellowship, our focus is to reflect best on Jesus as we possibly can, man or woman. Amen? Amen. So Paul leaves it right there, and we will as well. Father, we love you. We praise you. And Lord Jesus, we realize that if anyone here in this place has authority, it is you. We bow beneath your authority. We accept, we receive your authority as your sons and as your daughters. And I I pray, Lord, as for the positions that you have offered us, the roles that you have given us as a fellowship of believers. I pray, Lord, that we would accept these roles as a matter of decorum, as a matter of propriety, to do things in an orderly way. But never, Lord, so that one man can lord it over another woman. That's not our place. We are here together to serve and worship you in Jesus' name.